Please remain standing as you are able for the reading of today's scripture, which comes from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, verses 1 to 14. For everything there is a season, a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw away stones, and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to throw away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain have the workers from their toil? I've seen the busyness that God has given to everyone to be busy with. God has made everything suitable for its time. Moreover, he's put a sense of past and future into their minds, yet they cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I know that there's nothing better for them than to be happy and enjoy themselves as long as they live. Moreover, it is God's gift that all should eat and drink and take pleasure in their toil. I know that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken away from it. God has done this so that all should stand in awe before God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Blair, for reading our scripture this morning, and welcome to each of you. It is so good to see the sun come out on this first uh, Sunday of February and to welcome you on what we in the liturgical life of the church refer to as Super Bowl Sunday, Um, Groundhog Day as well. Many things about today are very special. Uh, I thought it might be helpful to me just in the beginning of this message to get a feel for the room. Uh, not wanting to split the church or anything, but I want to know how many of you are pulling for the Kansas City Chiefs today, all right? And how many of you for the 49ers? That's the way it was at all services, the Chiefs, the Chiefs carry. How many of you will be watching the Food Network this afternoon at 5.30? Yes, I see that hand. We're continuing our series that we started last week, this five-week series on Ecclesiastes. We began last week by talking about that word, Ecclesiastes, which is a transliteration of the word Kohelet in the Hebrew, which simply means teacher or preacher. It's interesting that when you look at the root of that word, Ecclesiastes, you see the Greek word ecclesia, 
which literally means church. That was the first word for assembly or for the church in the first century. And this is one of three books in the Old Testament that qualify as a part of the wisdom section, the wisdom writings. Proverbs, Job, and Ecclesiastes constitute this wisdom section. And last week we began by noting that the author identifies himself in chapter 1 verse 1 as a royal sage or a noble guru, perhaps king in Jerusalem, as he says, who was in search of meaning. What's interesting in chapter 1 is that this teacher restricts his search to life under the sun, that is, to the material world. He's not looking above. This is not a transcendent view of life. This is under the sun. And so his quest leads him through pleasure, through toil, through career, through building, through planting, through politics, through knowledge, and over and again he comes up empty. In fact, the keynote in Ecclesiastes, I mentioned last week, you see the word hebel 35 times, it means vanity, it means meaningless. In fact, chapter 1, verse 2 begins, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, all is meaningless, 35 times he says that. When you read the book as a whole, it sounds a little cynical, it is a bit skeptical, and yet what, actu- what the teacher is actually doing is leading people to God by contemplating life without God. And I don't have to tell you, I've learned as much from detours as I have through thoroughfares, maybe more. I've learned as much in my own dead ends as I have in a way through. And to be sure, living in the absence of God is futile. It is pointless. In fact, it's like chasing the wind. This morning, we turn to chapter 3 to what I think, Blair, is the best-known passage in the entire book. It is a poem. The first eight verses begin with a poem about the ebb and flow of life. And does anybody remember a band in the 1960s called The Birds? You all remember this group? Uh, nice hair. As you, I hope that doesn't come back, by the way. Uh, but this is a group who took this poem and set it to music. It was actually Pete Seeger who did it, who wrote this song, Turn, 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 in 1959. The Birds made it a hit in the 60s. It concerns one of the favored topics of all songwriters, of all philosophers. I mean, a a topic that is even better than drinking and carousing with wild folks, which happens a lot in Nashville. This is the subject of time. There's a lot of songs. You can think of them. Uh, the times, they are a-changing. Bob Dylan, Time in a Bottle, Jim Croce. Does anybody really know what time it is? Chicago, you remember that song. Time Passages, Time After Time, Cindy Lauper, Too Much Time on My Hands, Feels Like the First Time, and Clint Black, Killing Time, and then one of my all-time favorites, Crying Time. All these songs about time. Art Buchwald, who was an essayist and humorist for the Washington Post for many years, said it like this, whether it's the best of times or the worst of times, it's the only time we've got. 
Goethe, the philosopher, German philosopher, said every second is of infinite value. I think the psalmist realized this in chapter 90 when he said, teach us, O God, to number our days so that we might have a heart full of wisdom. I I think that the winner this evening in the Super Bowl, uh, I'm going to make a prediction, will be the team that has the ball in the last two minutes. It will likely be the team who manages the clock, who doesn't give away all their timeouts in the first half, the second, third quarter, but who manages the time. And I'm going out on a limb here, but I'm going to pick the Chiefs by three. There's a product that came out a few years ago. I I don't know if you've seen it before. It's called the Ticker. It looks like a wristwatch, but it counts time a little bit different. It, It counts down your life so that you can make every second count. It's a watch, as you can see, that has this dot matrix screen that displays the seconds that you have left on the earth. The ticker uses an algorithm that is used, the same one that's used by the federal government, to figure out your life expectancy, and then it converts that time into a countdown of the years that you have left, the months, the days, the minutes, and the seconds. It's rather sobering, but it was invented by a 37-year-old Swedish man named Friedrich Kolting. He said, I invented the gadget not as a morbid novelty, but as an honest attempt to change our thinking about time. Said Colting, who was a former gravedigger, the occurrence of death is no surprise to anybody, but in our modern culture, we rarely talk about it. In fact, I think that if we were more aware of our own time, that we might actually make better decisions while we're alive. He calls the ticker the happiness watch because he believes that being mindful of the time will lead us to savor the moment. I think maybe he's right. To the text. The text begins in chapter 3, verse 1, to everything there is a season and a time for every purpose, every matter under heaven. And then in verses 2 through 8, the teacher gives 14 antitheses, 28 experiences that are common to all of us, common to all human beings. They are not prescriptive. He doesn't say, now is the time to hate or now is the time to war. It's not prescriptive. It's descriptive. He's not promoting or advocating these actions. He's simply presenting them as parts of the full spectrum, the full scale of human life. You may notice then in the litany that Blair read that we have absolutely no control over the first antithesis, our birth and our death. But all of the others demand choice. All the rest demands discernment, demands wisdom. You need to know when to plant and when to harvest. You need to know when to weep and when to dance, when to embrace, and when to let go. I need to know when to be silent and when to speak. And that requires a sense of timing. 
Have you ever noticed how important timing is to life? I can speak from my own experience. I think it was about 35 years ago, I was invited to go to a revival in North Georgia. I was a seminary student serving in my first church. I was 22 years old. The people didn't know if I was the preacher or the acolyte. I did both in those days. I almost didn't go to the revival. I had too much work to do, too much to study, too much reading, but I decided to go on a Sunday night to Gainesville, Georgia, and I heard the most beautiful girl and the most beautiful song. I went back the second night for the music, not for the preaching, and I went back the last night for the singer. I told her she needed to sing in my church, and in order to help that to happen, I would need a telephone number. I was very subtle in those days. And she gave it to me, and six months later, she said yes. Timing. I almost didn't go. Life is a matter of time, but it's also a matter of timing, of knowing what to do when. (laughs) Daniel Pink, bestseller, has written a new book, Uh, It is worth looking at. It's called When, W-H-E-N, When. I love the subtitle, Scientific Secrets of Perfect Timing. And he says that oftentimes we get only preoccupied in life with the how, the what, and the why. And those are important. But so is the when. The timing of life is critical. There are two words in the Greek language for time, Chronos and kairos. Do you know these words? You recognize chronos, don't you? It's the root of chronological. That's calendar time. That's, that's January, February, March time. It's measurable. It's quantitative. It's linear. But kairos is a different kind of time. It's qualitative time. And literally, the word kairos, you know what it means? It means the right time. It means the opportune moment. I remember when I was growing up as a boy in Nashville, uh, the day of accountability for a school child was the day of report cards. I can remember it would put the fear of God in me. I was at Glendale Elementary School. I was a fifth grader in Miss Holman's class, and the day came for the report cards. I was pleasantly surprised on this occasion to find that all The marks were A's. I had gotten straight A's, which was not always the custom, and I felt pretty good about myself until I looked down in the place marked conduct. (laughs) There was a little box there, and it said, use time wisely. Check. I'm in trouble now. I took the report card home. And I don't know how it was in your house or is in your house growing up, but in the chapel house, conduct for some reason was more important than letter grades. And I grew up that way, and I still believe that's true, not only in your house. I think it's more so true in God's house. Conduct, more important than letter grade. Quality, more important than quantity. It's kairos that Paul was talking about in Galatians 4, verse 4, when he says, watch this, but when the fullness of time had come, he didn't say in the first century, he said in the fullness of time, 
God sent his son so that we might receive adoption as children. Another translation says it like this, at the right time, at the opportune time, at the proper time, he came. Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus said, now the time is fulfilled, the kingdom has come. He's not talking about chronological time. He's talking about rich time, God time, opportune moment, healing time. This is a fullness of time. And when we experience it, we realize that time is not meaningless. It's meaningful. And we realize what Blair read in verse 11, God makes all things beautiful in his time. That's kairos. But before we leave the subject, let me just say a word on behalf of chronos. It's important too. I hear people say all the time, well, I don't spend much time with my children, but it's quality time. And I think we need more than that. We need a quantity of time. You can't always separate the two. What you do with your time is a value. It, it determines to some degree what you say is important. Now, I've noticed the absurdity of some of the book titles that I'm seeing now having to do with time. For example, Seven Days to a Brand New Me. Is that all it takes? I need that book. 60-Minute Marriage Builder. That'll fix it. 60 Seconds to Serenity. It's not much better in the Christian publishing world. We're not immune to it either. 60 seconds with God. Daily prayer in 60 seconds. How about this one? Instant sermons for busy pastors. <laughs> you don't even have to study anymore. Just download it and your people will never know. But depth, maturity, <laughs> sanctification, takes time. And here's our problem. This is my problem. God doesn't always cooperate with my calendar. God doesn't always negotiate with my timetable, but God makes all things beautiful in his time, not my time. We used to sing a song, William Longfellow wrote it in 1882. It's in your hymn book. Take time to be holy. It takes time, doesn't it? I've never met a holy person who became holy in a hurry. You can't do it because holiness doesn't happen in a microwave. It happens in a crock pot. You have to simmer. I was in a board meeting at Emory University recently, and the dean there and some of the students were talking about how busy they were with their lives, with their work, and with their studies. It was almost too much. And the dean said, we're having a problem in our graduate school because our students are beginning to see time as more of an enemy than a friend. And everybody sort of sunk under the table because we're all there. When you think of the space 
and the time that God has given us to breathe on this planet and to have an opportunity to do something that is bigger than ourselves in witness of the kingdom. Don't waste that time. The writer says that God has put eternity within our hearts, and that can be frustrating, can't it? Because I have a glimpse of God, but I cannot understand the fullness of God. And so, as the Ecclesiastes writer says, sometimes the more you know, the more complicated life seems to be until Jesus comes, and suddenly in the fullness of time, no longer do you just see the backside of God. You see the face of the Father, and that requires some time. Take time to be holy. The world rushes on. Spend much time in secret with Jesus alone. By looking to Jesus, like him thou shalt be, thy friends in thy conduct, his likeness shall see. I want to close with this. One of my favorite teachers in seminary was a man named Don Saliers the father of one of the Indigo girls who were pretty good songwriters as well. One day he wrote for us a litany about the busy life, the hurried life, and he stood before us and he read these words. I'd like to walk under the open sky long enough to let the rain rain down on me and the sun to warm my face, but I haven't the time, Lord. I haven't the time. I'd like to be attentive to the song of birds and all creatures hymning the world to you in praise. But I haven't the time, Lord, I haven't the time. I'd like to have eight full glorious hours of sleep to awake refreshed and new with joy in the morning, but I haven't the time, Lord, I haven't the time. I'd like to visit those ill and confined who need a smile and a touch of human care but I haven't the time, Lord, I haven't the time. I'd like to bring healing and peace to the imprisoned, to the stranger, to the dying. But I haven't the time, Lord, I haven't the time. I'd like to write a long letter to my family and friends telling each how life is with me and thanking them just for being. But I haven't the time, Lord, I haven't the time. I'd like to be still one evening long enough to see the subtle change from light to dark in the chorus of stars in the night sky. But I haven't the time, Lord. I haven't the time. I'd like to praise you for all that we've been given with all the breath within me, but I, I haven't the time, Lord. I haven't the time. And then he resolves it. Take from us the burden of rushing through our lifetimes and redeem the time with us, in us, through us. Help us, O oh God, to live in your time. Our time is in your hand. It's just a matter of time, life, and it's a matter of timing. Kronos leads to Kairos. Spending time with God leads to opportunity with and for God. 
so that sometimes his thoughts become our thoughts and God's ways become our ways to the glory of God from whom all blessings flow. Amen.